0: Good morning, Covenant. So good to see you. Going to be a rather mild day, isn't it, for July? Uh, Looking forward to starting a brand new series with you today called To Be. Family. One of my favorite stories from the NFL is actually right after the first season, Vince Lombardi had taken his then Super Bowl champion, Green Bay Packers. At that point in history, the only team that had ever won a Super Bowl, he gathered them all together. Remember, guys that not only had built a career from the little leagues to high school to college, but had made it to the pros. All those places where, and I know you love your kid, but there's about a 1% chance, maybe less. Uh, that they're even going to get a call, much less make that team. That's who these guys were, the best of the best, the cream of the crop. Very first practice after just winning the national championship, he gathers them all together, and as he stands in the middle of that circle, he holds up this pigskin-covered oblong thing, and he said, Gentlemen, this is a football. Pretty elementary, isn't it, for a bunch of guys that just won the Super Bowl. But what, what Lombardi was reminding us of at that point is that oftentimes, no matter how advanced you are, how educated you are, you don't want to forget the most rudimentary of things. And so for the next eight weeks, as we move and kind of finish out the summer together as a church family, we want to talk about what that means, church family. Church family. What's it mean? Why do we say that? Why do we mean what we say? And and so a lot of this is going to be back to the basics kind of stuff. What does it mean to be the church? And at the same time, we live in an environment that's making this question a lot more critical. I don't know if you've realized it or not, but it is our isolation from each other, not just in the church, in community in general, that makes this question critical. We just went through two years of a pandemic that loosened ties between people at every level of civilization. Think about it. Your kids stopped going to school. A lot of you stopped going to work. People stopped gathering in general. And then even after the the, the wave was, was done and, and the call was made, to all right, you can begin safely. you got to do some mitigation here for a little while until we get to another phase of this. But we can start to gather by that point. It's really spooky, isn't it? How quickly new habits developed and people just sort of stopped getting together. And there are actually some sociologists, some highly critical one, uh, credible ones who think this explains a lot of the violence that we're seeing in our culture right now. Robert Sampson of Harvard University said, we're more likely to break the rules when our bonds to society are weakened. And that's not a new observation. The late 20th century scholar Emil Durkheim said, we are moral beings only to the extent that we are social beings. And yet we've moved into a day where people don't make time for that anymore. I mean, it's crazy. We pack our schedules full of activity, but but very little of that activity actually provides us the, the conduit to live emotionally healthy, spiritually rich lives. Now, here's the good news. The answer to every bit of that. Is the same as it has been for the last 2,000 years God's answer to this is the local church that's the answer it's not your local civic club, it's not parachurch organizations, they're all wonderful, they're all good, but, but God's answer to this is the local church, and so I want to start this morning with, with a definition, and, and Michelle has just read the text for us that, that gives us, if you will, a live laboratory look into the early church, and we can glean a definition from that. I'm doing that at the start of this series because nothing can be assumed here, nothing. Uh, by the time the world spins on its axis in another day roughly two billion people who call themselves christian will gather in the church as the church it's almost second nature especially those of us who were raised to believe this is something that as a christian you just do and and even if you weren't raised in a christian home since you've been saved you've been taught by us by your deacons by your small group leaders this is something that is healthy something that is essential for a follower of jesus to do as a disciple and yet If you walk into any of the hundreds of thousands of churches worldwide and simply ask, what is the church? The number of people who can give you a succinct definition that's accurate, is pretty low. We don't know. And that unfortunately includes a a lot of guys in, in my line of work. And the tragedy is, this has been the case through most of our history. I'll give you one example just from the Nicene Creed. Drafted in 325, and it simply says, we believe in one Holy, Catholic, little c, Catholic just means universal. It's an ancient word for universal. It's not referring to a denomination. And apostolic church. What did the Nicene divines tell us there? They told us, we believe that there's something called the church. Ask the Nicene divines now. What is that? They don't answer. That's not fair. They, They don't give us that. The document just sort of assumes that we're going to know. Now, that was an early 4th century document. Let me put some historical context around that for you. Between the time of Cyprian, who published a book called The Unity of the Church in 251, and John Wycliffe's book, The Church, published in 1378, there was no significant work by the universal body of Christ devoted to understanding the church. Guys, that's a thousand years of assumption. You know what they say about assuming, right? I'm in church, so I can't, you know, can't repeat it. You know, you know what it means, right? And and so, in in one sense, it's kind of absolutely reasonable. Guys, in my kind of work, sometimes we get. Frustrated because people don't understand or people come up with trite syrupy definitions that really don't match what God's Word says about the church But but when you think about that history It's absolutely reasonable for all sorts of jacked-up understandings of the church to emerge and to be around and 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 I you know Again, we get angry and frustrated because people don't understand often. It's because no one has ever really told them What is the church and why is it important? So my aim over the next several weeks is to change that and to clear up confusion and to present to you this overall message that Jesus intends for us to find our purpose and execute our mission together. And the mechanism that he has designed for us to do that is the local church, and there is no plan B. That's the the big idea here. And my angle is, if you are a follower of Jesus, the local church is your family. We don't just mean that as a metaphor here. It is your wider family, and your family needs you. And whether you realize it or not, hopefully you will realize it more in the ensuing weeks, you need your family. So we start with a definition, and we start with really some context for this definition. If you're looking at Acts chapter 2, you're like, wow, that's a lot of stuff. Where did that come from? Well, it started about six weeks prior to this moment. Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He rose from the dead. In that moment in history, as he rose bodily from the dead, he vindicated his identity as son of God, son of man, God, very God, high king of all creation, all those things that we say as Christians about Jesus, absolutely true because of the resurrection. And he'd already prophesied how his victory over death would spill over and eventually cover the whole earth. See, back in Matthew chapter 16, Peter had said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and it was on that Promise or that the basis of that confession that Jesus said the following he said you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth Shall be loosed in heaven so what he's saying to Peter there is the power of my resurrection is going to move through the earth And the singular conduit for the delivery of that power is the local church together not me as an individual, not you as an individual. The power is in the people collectively. And then just after the resurrection, he said, it's time. John 20, 21, as the father has sent me, so also I send to you. I send you. It's it's time to move. It's time to move. And then we get to the book of Acts. And Luke tells us in the first chapter there that that Jesus tells them to wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when they've been empowered, they will be his witnesses to the end of the earth. And then in the second chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes and descends. It's Pentecost week, one of the Jewish feasts and festivals, which means that there are people from all over the known world who have Jewish lineage and background that have descended on Jerusalem. They're all from different cultures now. They all speak different mother tongues and they come into that place hearing the apostles praising god in the language of their hometown because the apostles have been empowered by that holy spirit who's come to speak of the greatness of god and the power of the gospel in that language and it's the miracle of tongues that becomes the foundation on which peter preaches a message and three thousand people come to jesus is tongues a miracle it absolutely is but there's a greater miracle in that story than tongues the miracle is 3,000 people instantaneously become one body. They all speak different languages. They're from different cultures. They instantaneously become a singular body. And so by the time we get to the passage that Michelle read for us at the beginning of our time together, we are clearly seeing how that body is becoming the conduit for the resurrection power of the gospel. So there are five characteristics in brief that define a family. So I want to give those to you today. It begins with community. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. So when they come together, this is what they do. Number one, there's a devotion to apostolic teaching. Now, that would have included in the first century, All of the teaching of Jesus that was known at that time it would have included in addition to that everything he taught to his disciples during those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension and here at Covenant 2,000 years later we believe that that apostolic teaching is on the one hand undergirded by what we call the Old Testament which points us ultimately to Messiah Jesus and the New Testament, which outlines the teaching of Jesus and expounds and applies that teaching to every area of life as given by the apostles. So, in other words, at Covenant, the apostles' teaching, we believe, is fully contained in the scriptures. That's why we think the Bible is so important. We don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus. Jesus is the living word of God. He is the center of our faith, not the Bible, but he is defined for us by the scriptures because the scriptures themselves are God's own personal revelation of himself to us. And we still believe that. And so at Covenant, the foundation of our existence is that. Sometimes I get this question, uh, somebody out in culture or I'm in another place, another city somewhere, or even somebody that visits us on a Sunday morning. And I go, what kind of church is this? You ever heard that question? I mean, is that not the vaguest question you've ever heard in your life? Because people have different expectations as to what kind of answer they're going to get to that question. What kind of churches, if they're not in here physically, they might refer to our architecture, what kind of building we have. They might refer to our worship style. What kind of music do we sing? It's kind of interesting, even in house, how that works. You know, I've got some people that go, oh, "I wish you'd sing more Carrie Joe. but I got other people that, even in the in the the, the hallway today, you're going to greet me out there, you're going to hug me and go, "I was so enjoyed being." Here. Man, I love what a friend we have in Jesus. We should say, that should just be all we sing, right? Like everybody's got opinions; they're like noses, belly buttons, other body parts, <laughs> right? What kind of church is this? Sometimes that's what they mean. Sometimes it's it's doctrine. You know, they want to know. What do you? I, a guy asked me one time, he said, what's your view of the scripture? How high is your view of the scripture? And I went, as high as possible? He said, well, that was a vague answer. I said, it was a vague question. What specifically do you want to know? right sometimes it's a denominational connection especially with all the stuff that's been going on with the houston chronicle and the the abuse crisis that i have written to you guys about within that larger family of churches to which we contribute to missions and theological education and 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 people go you are you southern baptist and i go well yeah but we keep that a pretty good secret around here not because I'm ashamed, not because I don't appreciate the mission, but, I, but also I'm like, yeah, we're, we're connected, but nobody in Nashville or Columbia, Maryland, or even Boonesboro, Maryland, where our local office is, is, is there, nobody tells us what to do here. We follow the leading of the Holy Spirit under the Lordship of Jesus, and if that denomination decides they want to go A and we go, uh uh-uh, uh, no, we're going B, we'll tell them to go hang. That's how it works. It's, it's, it's a congregationally governed, it's an autonomous voluntary network of churches. And so I tell people, yeah, we're connected, but it's not our primary identity. And in fact, I think they often look at us like a redheaded stepchild. So, you know, I, I don't know what kind of church is this? Let me tell you what kind of church this is. We are not defined by the size of the crowd, by the number of our staff, the size of our budget, the style of our music, or our building. We are defined by God's revelation of himself in Scripture. We are defined by believing that you and I are created in his image and have infinite worth along with all the rest of humanity, that we are fallen in sin since the day that our first parents rebelled and that being cut off from God as a result of that, we are in dire need, as is the rest of the world, of a Redeemer and we believe that Redeemer has come. We believe he's come in the person of the work of Jesus Christ, that he died in our place for our sins, that he rose bodily from the dead, he ascended into heaven and now demands, as he sits on that throne, the unconditional allegiance of every man, woman, and child on the planet. We teach that the fullness of the life that every human being seeks can only be found in Jesus. We teach that heaven is glorious, that hell is hot, that eternity is long and the choice is yours. That, brothers and sisters, is the apostolic teaching. And that's what we believe here. That, that's our foundation. And it's on that basis and that basis alone that we have something called fellowship. So there's apostolic teaching that produces fellowship. Okay, You can have community with people, but not necessarily have fellowship. I have dear friends of mine who follow other faiths, they're not in fellowship with me. They're, not my, they're my brother and sister in humanity, but not my brother and sister in Christ. The fellowship that's being spoken of here can only be produced by the gospel as it is communicated through that apostolic teaching. And it's the word koinonia, and it refers to a state of sharing. So they, here's, the, here's the big idea. They devoted themselves to doing these things, submitting to apostolic teaching, and then later on we're going to look at breaking bread, we're going to look at prayer. They, they didn't do this aside... From community they did this together okay there's no such thing as a lone ranger christian there's no such thing as a lone ranger leader that's been a hard lesson every you know every church has got its warts every church has got culture issues that it's got to work through this has been one of ours this this belief that it's all about me and the way that comes out in, in a leader in the church is when you get somebody who doesn't play well with others y'all don't y'all wouldn't have a problem like that at work would you like somebody just doesn't play well with others, right? They, they're always, they all got, got sharp elbows. And, and so we, we just go, you know what? If that's you, you're probably not going to be working with us very long in a staff or a volunteer capacity. And it's not because we don't like you. It's not because we don't love you. It's not because we're trying to be mean. It's because the church is more important than you. I should probably say that again because that shocks some of you to the point. That the church as a whole is more important than any of its parts. It's more important than me, right? I am accountable, ultimately, to our non-staff elders, all right? That's, that's five guys who collectively, all right? They, they allow me to lead. I'm thankful for that. They're not, they never try to control me or anything like that, but I am accountable to them. If I'm perpetually giving them sharp elbows, can you imagine that I would keep my job very long here? That's the way it should be, because the church is more important than any of its parts. And we see that embedded here in this word koinonia. It refers to a state of sharing. We do this together. We do it together. Jesus prayed in John 17 that you and I would be one to the same degree that there is unity within the Trinity, Father, that they would be one as you and I are one. And the primary way that happens is through being consistently in community with each other. And this particular community was expressed in a couple of ways. The breaking of bread on the one hand and the prayers on the other. So in the breaking of bread, Luke's referring to a couple of things, formal and informal sharing and meals together. So more formally, we do that in the Lord's Supper. We're going to do that in a couple of weeks here, just like we do every fourth Sunday, uh, it's the teaching of the apostles embodied in the elements of the bread and the cup, symbolizing the body and the blood of Christ. Something that's very important for us to do. But the text here refers to something more broad as well. These are people who are living their lives together with intentionality. And I have discovered there's nothing more intentional, nothing more intimate, nothing more unifying as just sitting down to a meal together. Because it takes some effort to make that happen, especially with the full calendars we have uh i back starting in september i've got a wednesday night class i'm going to reengage. we've got some other things that we're starting up we have a pastoral residency that we're starting up we've got four or five men that are interested in that we've got some others that are kind of on the fence and there may be some others yet who may be called to shepherd god's people either here as a volunteer elder or maybe god's calling you into vocational ministry either to be on the staff here or in some other church somewhere perhaps we send you out to plant a church sometime maybe you come through it and you're not ultimately called to pastoral ministry at all you just want to be a better uh a better disciple who's committed to the local church and you learn a little bit more about what that looks like so, so we've got all that stuff happening. So I know my calendar is about to get really, really busy. My wife is in Asia right now, and she left her calendar with me. And so I've taken my white space and her white space and put them together. And we've issued invitations to people. Most of them, a few of them have been here for a while, but most of them are like within three months or so, a part of the church. We have no agenda. We just want to get to know you a little better. Doesn't mean there might not be an agenda that emerges, but, but, but what it means, is we, we just want to get to know you. Why? Because I'm your, pastor and I know we're a large church but but we should know something of each other right that takes intentionality that takes combining the white space on two calendars and sending out some emails and trying. be, but it's worth that to me it's worth that it should be worth that to you to get to know each other and the sense of this text is that it was their common identity in Christ that moved them to share their life together but here's the here's the key Right? Without this next thing, none of the rest of the stuff matters. They did this in the spirit of prayer. Now, why did they do that? Because their unity among themselves was wholly dependent on their corporate unity with the Lord. And if you don't think that's true, then you are, I don't know, maybe you're in denial Maybe you've just not been close enough to anybody to, to really have them rub you the wrong way. Listen, there, there, there can, a church can descend sometimes into toxic and even abusive environments. That can happen. That's legit. Some of you have come from those kinds of environments. I get that. A lot of the unpleasantness, though, that you experience relationally in a church is not abuse. It's just you're a fallen person. You're trying to interact with another fallen person. That's what it is. And, and so people go, well, I, I, I'm just afraid I'm going to get hurt. Well, if you're trying to avoid all hurt, you better never get married. You better, for the sake of the Lord, never have any children. You, as a matter of fact, if you don't ever want to get your feelings hurt, you better stay away from every other human being on planet Earth. You better become a hermit because community is hurtful. Community can be painful. But you know what else is true about community? It's powerful especially when the affinity around it is not whether or not I like you or whether or not you're just like me, or whether, but the fact that we both serve a crucified, risen Savior together. But, but we don't just commune with each other. We commune with him. There is no church without prayer. There's just not. So I want to give you a couple of opportunities here. Wednesday night, 7 p.m., July the 27th, right here in this room. We're going to come together, we're going to worship, we're going to pray. Sunday, July 31st, 9.30 a.m. It's been interesting. We've been doing these unity services for a couple of years now where we just bring the whole family under one roof for one service. And, and we do, we do we, starting at 9.30, we pray together. Our elders and deacons are here. If you want to pray with them, have them pray for you. That will still be available to you. But it's just, it's interesting to me, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not trying to be ugly, I'm not, I'm not trying to put you down or make you feel any shame I'm just gonna say it's heartbreaking to me, actually. The number of people that just huddle outside there and will not just come in and we're like, what are you afraid of? We're communing with the Lord. It's time. This is the power source. You know, why am I always grumpy at work? Why can I not seem to get my stuff together? Why can I not well, you're never connecting in with the power source? That's So you ought to mark those on your calendar. You ought to be here for that. Uh, Because I'm going to tell you, we we can have all the money and all the education, all the resources in the world. And by the way, God has enlarged all of that with us here. In the last five years, even with all the turnover, and when a church is revitalizing and coming out of decline and seeking its future, sometimes you're going to have a lot of people leave. That is true. COVID did that with almost every church in America. My friend Ed Stetzer called it the Great Reset. People that for a thousand different reasons decided it was, it was time to find another church. Even with all of that turnover, the number of people who call Covenant home over the last five years has nearly doubled. Our budget's gone up by 40%. We've planted two churches. We've sent out and established new beachheads for work and cultural engagement in Baltimore and Ocean City. Got a team on the ground in Vietnam. As I speak, none of that phases our enemy without prayer none of it Satan fears nothing from prayerless churches so you you need to come and join us for these things because when all these things are happening by people in covenant relationship with each other you have a church the Apostles teaching fellowship breaking of bread prayer so let's, let's let's use a working definition for the rest of our time together what is the local church take a look at this the local church is a identifiable community. Okay, people go, like, "What church are you a part of?" I think it was Vance Havner who asked a, a woman wanted to sing on stage in his church, and he said, "Well, you, I don't think you're a part of this church." And she said, "No." He said, "Well, what church are you a part of?" And she said, "Well, I'm part of the Universal Church." He said, "Well, then, madam, you could sing for them." Every, the Universal, every single letter in the New Testament was either written directly to a local congregation or written to leaders of those congregations about how to lead those congregations. There is no walking in discipleship without being part of an identifiable local community of regenerated believers because I could cut my if I accidentally cut my thumb off and I went to Dr. Jeff and he put it on top of my hand and put some duct tape over it and said there you go, that'll work. That doesn't work, does it? No, in fact, if it it stays there, it's just going to get worse. The first requisite is life. Life. This is why the first thing when somebody goes, I want to be a part of this church, I want to have a relationship with this church, we go, man, that's wonderful. Here's our first question. Is there a relationship with Jesus? Regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord in obedience to Scripture, They gather regularly under the authority of qualified leadership. We're going to get into all the, every bit of this gets unpacked over the next eight weeks. For worship, preaching, and teaching, and to observe the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The local church is unified by the Holy Spirit, disciplined for holiness. Oh, that's an ugly word these days. Equipped to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandment as Jesus' representatives to the world for the glory of God and their eternal joy. That's what a church is. And when that's happening as it should, there are other things that start to happen. Like, for example, commission. Verse 43 says, An awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. When we submit to the Lord, by submitting to community with each other, you start to see God do powerful things. These folks saw signs and wonders. Does that still happen? Yeah, of course it does. We still believe people speak in tongues. We still believe people can be healed. We have witnessed that here the greater glory of god but the greatest wonder in fact what produces the most awe even beyond all of that is how the power of the spirit moves people toward communion verse 44 all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need now sometimes this passage gets misunderstood uh, to the extent that some have tried to use it to legitimize communist states, collectivist kind of societies, basically it, it, what, what they will do is they will take a passage like this and they will say, see, there's the model right there. Capitalism is evil. Well, listen, capitalism is not the bee's knees that some of the rest of you think it is. All right? It's alright got problems too, but this is not some some announcement that the only proper economy is a place where nobody owns anything and everybody shares everything. We, we've seen how that works in history, especially without God. Anybody remember Occupy Wall Street? I don't know, what's it been 10 years ago? I just happened to be in New York City Uh, I was at a meeting with the Metro New York Baptist Association. I was taking that afternoon, just kind of walking through the financial district. And I got to Zucote Park and I saw this, what looked like a homeless village. And I thought, well, this is weird. And and they were up there they were evangelizing. Like really, really nice guy. He didn't smell very good, but he was really nice. And, And he, and he walked up to me and he was just, you know, this is the community that we dreamed of. And I thought, I, I'll take my HOA. Thank you very much. Yeah, this this doesn't look very attractive. No, but if you need medical care, it's free. And if you need this, it's free. And if you listen, I admire the spirit and and the ambition. I get it. But that stuff lasted about seven minutes in history. This is not forced action by government. These are people with let's, these are people with full ownership of what is theirs. That listen, if they're If there's no argument for the right to private property in Scripture, there would not be a commandment that said, you shall not steal. I don't have time to go into this, but I'm just going to tell you, these are people, what they have is theirs. It's understood as theirs, but what are they doing? They're freely sharing what they have. And some of you are old enough to, I'm sorry, mature enough, feels better, to remember when that was how you built a house of worship. Somebody said, well, I've got to track the land. Somebody else said, well, I've got some lumber. Somebody else says, well, I've got some Romex because it's going to need some electricity. You know, that's a new thing these days. Later on, somebody says, well, I've got, I've got an HVAC company. We need to, you know, there's nothing holy about sweat. Let's, let's cool that thing down. Everybody came together, and together the church was able to do what no individual could do on his or her own. That's still true today. It may look a little different. There are building codes and fire codes and things like that. You, you don't want me with, I mean, hammer and nails are good. I built my kids a tree house. They didn't die. It didn't collapse. But when it comes to anything internal, my wife is like, babe, I love you. Hire a contractor, right? Like, you, we need to hire this out. I'm like, baby, I, but I can, yeah, no, no, you can't. You have many talents. I love you. Like, she's so humble. She, yeah, this is not one of them. This is not one of them. I, I want the wall straight, right? And, and so we, we've got higher standards now. We've got, I mean, there, there are reasons probably why we can't build buildings maybe the way we used to do it, but there are other ways in which we share. For example, when somebody around here dies and all of a sudden we need to feed 300 people after a funeral. And can anybody in here serve 300 people all by themselves? Well, some of you could if you're cooking. Like Chef Scott probably could, but he doesn't count, um, Right? we got to come together to do that. You know what else we provide for them? There are families out there that, you know, there's no life insurance. They've got a loved one. They're trying to lay them to rest. They're trying to give them the honor that they're due. The funeral home is charging a fee because they got to make money. And there are ways that we can help alleviate that. One of those ways is we just provide the facility. Just come on in and use it. It, That's always amazed me when somebody goes, well, how— how much it cost? How much this building cost? I'll, I'll tell you. It takes about $160,000 a year to keep this building operational. That's what it takes. We got another budget coming up for 2022-2023, you'll be open to it. that's about what it takes. 160 to 175, that's what it. What money could be given to missions? Yeah, tell that grieving family that. This building is part of the It's not the whole ball of wax, but it's part of it. It's part of it. We have these immature trite understandings as if like This is what we you know what nobody I don't know about you I can't even take out a mortgage and 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 build a building like this This is one of those things we have to do together We provide food every month to people through various and sundry places. Every single Sunday, we come together, and people donate their hospitality. You saw them as you were greeted coming through the door. Other people donate their technical expertise behind those cameras. So some of you are watching from home right now because you're sick, and some of you, hey, man, the cameraman just went, yep, hey, I'm right here. Uh, Some of you are are home right now because, yep, they're up there too. I say, hey, give these guys a hand for what they do. They never... You never know they're there until something goes wrong, right? But if you're home right now because you're sick or you're, or you're, you're watching online right now because you're on vacation and you're, you're trying to join with your covenant family or God bless you as much as I love you and I'm not putting you down, but you're home because you're in your pajamas because you still think COVID's a thing and you haven't repented yet to come back into the service. We love you. Look at my face. I love you. And, and you're, you're able to be a part of this right now and hear your preacher get on to you because somebody donated expertise that I don't have. Somebody came together. This happens every single Sunday. Some of you, 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 kinda, you, you don't want to come in the building. This, the, the camera's become the new front door, right? So you're six or seven weeks watching us online before you come back into this building to find out if I'm real. I did, I had a guy several weeks ago, he walked up to me, didn't say a word, he just walked up and he went, like, I went, what? He goes, you're real. I said, yes, I am. I'm sorry to disappoint you. He goes, no, I just, you know, I've only seen you through a television screen until today. You know, we, that's our, our, two, our two largest conduits of growth in the last year. One is Covenant Sports, the other is our digital technical ministry because we've been there for people you got to be together to do those kinds of things you know what other people do they come in here they're doing it right now and you don't see them they're back down this this hallway and they're they're taking care of your kids they're making sure your small children are learning about Jesus, and they're doing it in a safe environment. There are going to be others yet out here still with Pastor Chris on Wednesday night investing in our youth. And I'm going to tell you something, they're not just babysitting. If you're a person in your 30s right now, by the time you get into your 50s, there's a really good chance I'm not going to be standing up here anymore. And I've said this several times over the last few weeks, it is likely still that one of the kids back there or one of the kids on Wednesday night will be the pastor here by that point. We need each other if we're going to pull that off and produce that individual, don't we? We do. So we need some of you still who wonder, what's my role here? We'll talk about that in the ensuing weeks so that we can do it together. Because when we're together, we're committed to each other and to our Lord Jesus. When when, When that dynamic happens, you and I can do a level of damage to the kingdom of darkness that no one could do alone that's what happened in the early church and they looked around after doing this and they went it really isn't wasn't that hard it was pretty simple they looked around and they went hey this works so they kept doing it they were consistent look at verse 46 and day by day attending the temple together regular habit is what this is talking about and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts they continued to worship to submit to apostolic teaching to pray to commune to work to share Church life became a habit for them. You're like, Pastor, they didn't go to church every seven days. No, they didn't. They went every morning. Every morning. I'm not suggesting that we do that. Listen, I grew up in in one of those legalistic environments where you went Sunday morning, Sunday night. I never got to watch The Wonderful World of Disney. I'm still a little bit raw about that. Right? Right? I'm one of them church kids. Right? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, pastor's washing the windows on Thursday, we filled our pew and we watched him do it. Right? I'm not talking about that kind of environment. I am talking about a spirit in which you go, hey, this is a priority such that I'm going to make it a habit. Because listen, you're welcome here anytime. Anytime. You're going to be loved anytime you walk through this door. Nobody's going to look at you funny, but I'm just telling you the truth right now and the authority of the Word of God. You can't come here three or four times a year or once every six weeks and expect anything truly significant to happen. You just can't. I mean, some of you, this is already evident to you physically in your gym membership that you never go to you like, you look like you've picked up a little weight. Well, yeah, I've gained 20, 30 pounds. I guess I need to lose it. Well, are you, you know, maybe you should take out a membership. You know what? I have had a membership to the gym for like five years, and that hasn't done me any good. How often do you go? Oh, well, yeah. hey, you think your spiritual life's different somehow, that it's so distinct? You think body and soul are so dualistically distinct philosophically that, that you can treat your spirituality different than that? You can set different priorities. Church is like that. The the other thing that kind of gets in the way here is that the consumerism that has driven so much of Western Christianity drives us to look at church as being all about the weekend experience, Right? And you know where that came from? That came from parachurch organizations, which are not bad and they're not evil. And they actually provided some really good opportunities for you to get on top of a mountain or at a beach or together with other believers that maybe you didn't know before over a weekend and the God's Spirit moved in powerful ways. And you don't come back empowered to serve. You, you come back with a sort of mopey kind of, why can't my church be like that every week? Because it's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be. This is not the spiritual equivalent of Disneyland. And any church that tries to produce that for you is lying to you, and they're stunting your spiritual growth. That's not what the church does. Church is like a multivitamin. You buy the bottle, you pop a pill every day. 30 days later, you go back to the vitamin shop or wherever you get it. You can tell I don't use multivitamins unless my wife goes here. You pop one every day, three, four months into it, you're like, I, this just doesn't. How many of you feel that way about multivitamins? Like, I feel like I just could just, let me just take a $100 bill and light it on fire. This doesn't feel like it's doing anything for me at all. Until something happens, and you realize that what it's done for you is it's helped you maintain a level of health that you need in that crisis moment. That's consistency, and when enough of us commit to that, we see acceleration. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what happens? As a result of them doing this and doing it consistently, more people come to Christ, more people commune with each other, more people dedicate themselves to prayer, more marriages are healed, more problems are solved, more people are fed, more addicts are delivered, more trafficking victims are set free, more of Jesus' coming kingdom is seen by the world. And we see it today what we've seen here covenant that didn't happen overnight it took time as it always does when a church has been in decline for a period of time and and needs to be revitalized and 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 kind of look to its future it it took a little while for this faith family to rediscover its roots in apostolic teaching it took some time to reunite with each other in in a fellowship that is connected ultimately with our heavenly father it took time to start sharing each other's burdens through so many heartaches and tragedies that we've seen over the last several years and to pray together Starting with our staff and our leadership, continuing through the entire body of Christ. Because of that, we see any acceleration that we witness around here. And we're still not where we need to be. You know why? Because Revelation 7 hasn't happened yet. We'll always be moving in that direction as the body of Christ. But by God's grace, we ain't through. Because God ain't through. And I want to invite you in the ensuing weeks to join into that. To join into that, you know, one of the enemy's greatest distractions is when he encourages you to invest the bulk of your life, the bulk of your intention, the bulk of your energy to something that's not entirely bad, not entirely bad, but not the main thing, not the primary thing. Okay, and then you wonder, well, why isn't this getting fixed? Right, the two that I've seen are, are civic engagement and parachurch organizations. Neither one of those things are bad. The Lord intends for us to have an effect on civil society. He just doesn't, he doesn't advocate in his word that political action is the sole or even the primary way that that gets done. And a lot of believers treat it like that's exactly what it is. Parachurch organizations are not a bad thing. But, but a lot of parachurch, and I'll get a little deeper into this later in the series, some parachurch, not all of them, some of them, that started out being a servant to the local church and its mission have begun to assume a posture of lording it over the church and telling the local church what it ought to be doing with its time and its efforts. Um, that's not from the Lord. Even if the message is correct, that's not from the Lord because it's getting the pecking order out of order. You just can't do that. And so what happens is, we, well, we get distracted. I'll give you one that's not controversial at all these days, this whole school prayer thing. That's not controversial, is it, at all? <sighs> I, I hear people, like, well, that's the problem. We took prayer out of schools. Prayer in schools in the 1950s didn't do a blessed thing to fix nuclear proliferation or segregated lunch counters. You treat that like it's something that it's not let's just be honest about it are you against prayer no I'm not against prayer stop that nonsensical binary thinking that's not what I'm saying moreover there has always been and there always will be prayer in schools there will be I prayed repeatedly in school particularly leading up to a test that I had not studied for it happened often and I failed anyway sometimes. But, I, but you know what? Nobody ever threw me in prison. Nobody ever fined me. Nobody. You, 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 <laughs> well, you're talking about organized prayer. All right, let me say a couple things here. All right, please don't. I'm, some of y'all, you're going to, you got all this pent up emotion. You're not thinking clearly. All right, and I just calm down, take a breath, listen to me. All right, I want you to consider something. You don't even have to agree with me when we're done. But take a moment here to think. God wants us to be thinking people. Okay. Here's what I know about the public school system. I know that my Mormon neighbor, my Muslim neighbor, my Jewish neighbor, my atheist agnostic neighbor, who is credentialed in, for example, being able to teach my children algebra, should be able to teach my children algebra. In fact, you want that individual who doesn't agree with me on who Jesus is Right? You, you want me preaching, you want them teaching. Amen? You don't want me teaching your kids equations. It's going to get jacked up. I mean, it, you, you do not want the consequences for that. Right? I, I love my Mormon neighbors. I don't want them leading my children in prayer. Some of y'all hadn't thought about the other side of that equation. Maybe I'm better at equations than I thought we got to think a little bit here. Here's my other thing. What happens in pagan civil society doesn't matter nearly so much as what happens in the church. And I'll just be honest with you, and maybe I'm being a little, I don't know. You just take it for what it's worth. I'm sharing my heart with you. I grow weary of people who want prayer in schools who won't show up for prayer in the church. Because this is where it's at. When the body of Christ comes together, and we plead to heaven, listen that—that's what the enemy. It, it and it, but, but we keep giving ourselves to all this stuff, and there's misdirection, and there's confusion, and then we wonder, well, why, wait a minute, why am I? why my anxiety level's higher than it was, and that's not getting fixed. I, I don't. I, I feel we're more polarized than we used to be. There's more toxicity in, in, in surrounding me than there used to be, and I almost feel like I'm, I'm getting sucked into it. It's because you have not made primary what God intends for you to make primary. For the last 2,000 years, the white blood cells that will battle toxicity and anxiousness in your soul, God's given you that prescription. It's the local church. Pour yourself into service to God's kingdom through the only conduit that Jesus ever ordained to send that kingdom into the world. That's the call. That's the call. That's been his plan for two millennia. You need that. You need that. And and here's the other side of that. Your church family needs you because Jesus has given us a mission. None of us can get it done without each other we are called to be family And in just a minute I want to ask you to begin responding we don't we're gonna have more particular ways for you to respond to these challenges as we move over the ensuing weeks, but I know right now, many of you were given a blue card. You can also go to the church app online, and if the Spirit of God is just moving you to be more involved in some way, or you're like, hey, I don't know exactly what this means for me yet, but I I want my pastors, my deacons, I want them to keep me honest about my response moving ahead. We will pray with you. We will pray for you, and in just a minute, I want to ask our elders and deacons to take positions under the crosses so that we can be ready to receive you now. But you what do you need to do to be obedient to the Lord in this matter? Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you not only for Jesus, but for the church. We thank you, Father, for granting us a conduit for the kingdom, for making it plain in our Bibles, for helping us, Lord, to understand that this is where we're called to be, that these are our people, not even because we necessarily, or even always fond of each other, but because our commonality is that we are blood-bought saints of a risen Lord who intends to use us together, people who are different, people who don't always agree with each other, don't always see eye to eye, people who, under, who understand though that there's a kingdom that's bigger than them, there's a church that, that carries primacy that needs to move forward. And so, Father, would you, would you convict all of us today of where individually we need to move In order to strengthen that conduit and may your kingdom move mightily and exponentially as we respond to your word in Jesus name Amen hi everybody pastor Joel here and I am so glad you stopped by I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God and if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.